morning. Um, One thing um, I found this morning before I came to church, and I think that it actually speaks to where we were just a moment ago. Um, This was a message from Pastor Steve Schell back in 2018, and please don't ask why I have this paper. Uh, This says, when God's people gather, the Holy Spirit comes among them and graciously reaches out to each person. He doesn't have favorites. It's all based on grace. Shouldn't we see the gathering of God's people as a holy assembly in which God, which the Spirit is powerfully at work? And then I added a note saying, never waste your worship. And so I guess as a challenge to us all that as we gather here and as the Spirit comes to not waste that worship as we, as we enter into that. Okay, enough with, not with that spiritual stuff, but um, (laughs) uh, now on to announcements. Um, (laughs) So welcome everyone. Uh, We thank you for coming and um, we're just glad to have you. For our online family, I just want to uh, say a specific message to you. We uh, miss you. Uh, because we can't see you. We don't know that you're necessarily there. We do know that there are some that are watching, but if you could leave a comment for us, we do have somebody that might respond back to you, um, and she's shaking her head yes. So we would love to hear from you, and so uh, if you could just just leave a little comment saying, we're here, or whatever, whatever you want to say, and you can even leave your prayer request as well. Uh, we have some books Uh, These books are from Pastor Steve Schell. They're a gift to the congregation. Uh, There's some in the back, and we probably will run out, but we can get more. They are, um, the book is called The Promise of the Father, and uh, Pastor Steve has been working on this for some time. Um, We only ask that only one book per family, and that way there's enough for everyone. Um, And the Northwest... Um, Foursquare over in Federal Way is also under the same the same instructions. With that, we would love to connect with you. There are several ways to do that. We have our website, and I think there's going to be a slide. <laughs> there's the um, Edgewood.org website. There's also the church app. There's lots of information that you can gain from just going there. Also, if you haven't signed up, um, just giving your email address so that Pastor Jonathan can actually send you a weekly email. It's not to spam you or to give you an inundation of things in your inbox, but it's just so that you will know what's going on. It, it's a it's a actually really helpful way. So with that, there's ways to connect. There's tithing, which you can give online or in the box up front. The um, other things that you can do to connect are to be here, actually. Um, On Wednesday nights, we're having a prayer meeting. And I can honestly say, last Wednesday when we met, it was like the best, it was the best time to be praying for not only all of you, but just praying for the community, praying for just whatever was on our heart. And so we just ask that if you have that inkling or if the Spirit's nudging you, come come. Also with um, connection is um, a meeting tomorrow night, actually, over at Faith Family Center. Jonathan's nodding his head at 630. And they're just going to be doing worship. 
And so if you have the inclination to go as well, um, please join. It's for anybody. So is there anything else? Okay, well, welcome, Pastor Jonathan. It is the intro to Mark. So anyways, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Darlene. Well done. You got through all that. That was a bit of information there. Yeah, tomorrow night is a worship night at Faith Family Church. It's FFC, so it could be center, but it's church. Uh, Faith Family Church over in Milton. And we're just going to hang out at 6.30, and and you are definitely invited. And we're going to open that up. How are we doing? You alive? Wow. For those of you online... That was, that was the sound of crickets in the room. My goodness gracious. Um, today we are beginning a series. I call it a series. Um, I, we're going through Mark. We're going through the book of Mark. I grew up um, in church under Pastor Steve Shell, and when he went through a book, it was not a series. I don't know what we called it, but it was like two to three years of a book, right? And so um, we're not going to take two to three years in the book of Mark, but I do have at least 26 messages in 16 chapters coming, so strap in, here we go. Um, At the center of Mark's narrative is the mission of Jesus, the mission that he came to earth to accomplish, and that is the redemption of of the human race. We talk a lot about mission here. Um, you, and if you ever hear me say the word mission and you're wondering, what the heck is he talking about? What does he mean? Um, we are saying here our motto, our, our mission statement, if you will, is we are on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. That's, we'll say that all the time, hopefully to the point where you say it in your sleep and you're sick of it. Uh, that's our that's our statement. That's what we want to be about. That's what the church is about. That's what we exist for. So I'm going to spend the next couple minutes just kind of setting up this whole study in Mark. We're going to look at the context, the author, and and what he was saying, and what the the main the big picture of this book is, and then we'll dig into the first um, little section in chapter one. All right, you ready? You got your Bibles out? Mark 1. Mark 1, as you're getting that out, as you're pulling up your Bible app on your phone, I'm going to launch into this. So Mark is right after Matthew and right before Luke. It's the second book in the New Testament. It's the shortest of the four Gospels with 16 chapters. And the Bible records more information about Mark than, than the other authors of the gospel, um, aside from the apostle John, who, who wrote quite a bit more. Uh, Luke mentions Mark's name several times in Acts. We see that, that Mark's house, or, or his mother's house, is, is probably where the early church in Jerusalem was meeting on a regular basis. So he was, he was in it, whether he liked it or not. He, was a, he might have been one of those first PK kids, right? Grew up in the church, grew up around, around the early church. Um, Mark is also um, 
he started the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And we see that he, he was one of the, the young men accompanying them. And then he ended up not finishing that. He, he bugged out early, went home early. And, and later, Paul and Barnabas had a good fight about that, so much so that they went different directions. Um, but later on in, in Paul's life, Mark became significant again. And we can see that there was a healing in that relationship. In fact, um, Mark is one of the last people that Paul mentioned in his final letter, um, saying that, that Mark was a big part of his life. He may also have been at Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. There is mention of a young man who was dressed only in a tunic. And when the guards came to arrest Jesus, they tried to grab him and he left his tunic there and escaped with naught but his birthday suit on. Um, he's unnamed, but he's in Mark. And so because Mark knows the story, we're all just going to assume it was Mark. Um, and that means that Mark was likely at the Last Supper or that the Last Supper uh, was at his mom's house where the church would later meet. So Mark is kind of in all of this stuff. He was an eyewitness to a lot of stuff. This gospel was likely written uh, while he was in Rome and he was there with Peter in the years just prior to, to Peter being executed as a martyr. Mark was hanging out with him. And so Peter's eyewitnesses accounts are, eyewitness accounts are likely a large source for Mark's gospel. So, I mean, Peter probably saw this if he was hanging out with Mark and Mark's writing something. Peter's like, oh, I got something to say. <laughs> put this in there, put this in there. I would have, I could see this being Peter's kind of last communication as well. But so we hear from Peter as well as Mark. Um, Mark's gospel portrays Jesus as the servant, where Matthew establishes him as king and, and backs that up with the Jewish history. He says, Jesus is the coming Messiah. He's the king. Uh, Mark looks at him as the servant of God. And he's constantly on the move. Jesus is constantly on the move. All 16 chapters are just packed full of stories and, and, and the, the parables and the illustrations that come. There's not a lot of um, timeline stuff, and then this, and then this, and, and so-and-so is here. Not, not a lot of that. It's just, bam, going, going all the time. And the forward motion in Mark's writing keeps, uh, keeps the reader's mind continually looking ahead to the cross and to the resurrection. 39 times in, in Mark, he uses the word immediately. Immediately, giving the sense that Jesus' time on earth was, was uh, limited. It was short, and there was so much to accomplish in his few years of ministry. Um, the word means straight away, without distraction, without disruption, with focus and intentionality. That's what immediately means. Mark uses the word so many times, and especially in this first chapter, we'll see a couple of them here, and gives a sense that, that his time was short, Jesus' time was short, and he knew it, and he was on task all the time. Jesus was not wasting time. He wasn't playing games. He was here to do something, and he was on mission. So Jesus is portrayed as God's servant, and he says, uh, he says in Mark 
10, for, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's filled with, his book is filled with um, the illustrations and, sorry, I already said this, again and again, the power and the compassion of the Son of God are revealed. Mark reveals Jesus as more than just a good teacher who offered people spiritual renewal, but the book portrays Jesus as the true God and, and fully man, reaching into the lives of people and affecting physical change and circumstantial change. When Jesus went somewhere, when he interacted with people, change resulted. But he wasn't just a change agent. Jesus uh, had an ultimate purpose, and change was for the purpose, for the mission. Jesus constantly pointed to the cross. He constantly pointed to his real mission to be here was to redeem humankind. And it's through faith in Jesus that humans can find eternal redemption. And then Mark also says that Jesus is the model for our lives. So he, he wrote this probably in the mid-50s AD from Rome with Peter, and, and they're hanging out. So today we're going to look at the first 13 verses of chapter 1. And this passage gives us a glimpse into the last bit of preparation before Jesus' ministry begins. Now, preparation had started long before this, thousands of years even. But here's just that last little bit of preparation before go time. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. More on that in a minute. Um, he, was, yeah, mm, he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw, John saw, the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my, my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. And we're going to stop there. We'll continue next week with the rest of that chapter. So let's define a couple phrases here. The first one is gospel. Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus 
What is the gospel? Does anybody know what that word means? Good news, you guys have been in church a minute. Gospel means literally good news as a noun. It is the good news. As a verb, it is proclaiming good news. The Old Testament and pagan use of the word, because they use the same Greek word, um, speak of an arrival or a birth of a new king. News of Caesar Augustus's installment to the throne when he came to power was inscribed as the beginning of glad tidings that have come to men through him. And it was heralded as the gospel of Augustus Caesar. Mark uses it in a similar way, announcing the arrival of the king and savior and the glad tidings to men through him. Some of that language sounds familiar, doesn't it? Announcing the new king and the good things that we can expect through him. Then Jesus also later, he uses the word. And he spoke of God's kingdom coming near. The good news of God's kingdom, not just a person, but but God's kingdom coming. And the purpose of that kingdom was to pull people back into relationship with their creator who loves them. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about the kingdom of God also before we go on. Now, the kingdom of God is not mentioned in this passage, but it's a huge theme here because this is Jesus's message. And we'll see next week as that, as that launches. But the kingdom of God is wherever the rule and reign and authority of God is affected in people's lives. In one way, the Jewish mindset says that all of creation is God's kingdom, right? Because he made it, he can do what he wants. And so his, his rule and his reign is affected there. But in scripture, we see that God's kingdom is not just, you know, that ultimate and immediate power everywhere all the time. He chooses to work through covenant and through his people. And so he establishes his kingdom in the hearts of people who will surrender to him. So even in the, the covenant with Abraham and then Israel at Sinai, It was set up to create a kingdom of priests where God's kingdom could be affected throughout the earth. Later in the history of Israel, the kingdom of God refers to the promised Messiah. The kingdom will come. The kingdom will come. Who would come and sit on the throne of David and rule, making things right. That's a concept of the kingdom, making all things right and, and all the things that are wrong would be fixed and all the oppression would go away. Generally, we refer to the kingdom, meaning wherever the influence, power, and authority of God are in effect. The presence of God, the positive response of people to him and surrender. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming, and the kingdom of God are are core themes here. So the preparation for the kingdom. Jesus, in this, later on in this chapter, is about to start ministry for real. He's about to start preaching. He's about to start healing and, and delivering. But before he does that, there is some preparation that goes on. God's sovereign hand had been preparing through Israel and, and at work in the earth around Israel, bringing about the perfect situation for the gospel. Romans 5, 6 says that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Throughout all of history, we talked about Abraham a second ago, all of history, Abraham and David and through the prophets, God had been working toward this moment. He had been building and preparing and bringing about this moment from the garden. In the garden of Eden, God told Eve that her seed would crush the head of the snake, the first promises of the Messiah. And from God's first word to Abraham, he foretold that his people, his his descendants would bless the whole world. Everyone would be blessed through him. And then God showed Moses and the people of Israel, fresh out of Egypt, he gave them the Passover lamb as a type of the Messiah, showing that, that they would that, that he would come and forgive their sins. He would have a savior. And in the Psalms, we see David has a clear picture. He hears from God that, that his descendant who will sit on the throne forever was not just his descendant, but his Lord. And then the prophets knew that he was coming and yearned for his coming. And even on the world outside of Israel, God was arranging things just so, so that when the gospel came, when Jesus arrived, the world could receive that. So we have Rome, the kingdom of Rome, the, the, the Roman Empire, and everything that led up to that. I love, I do history with my kids. And so you see the, the rise and fall of empires and how they build on each other and how the world landscape and the politics change things. And boy, it's easy to, to lose that nowadays. We get caught up in our immediate political moment but God is using all these things. I think even today, this is totally a sidebar. God is using all the details of all the politics and everything today to further his kingdom. Can you believe it? Even in all the craziness, he's using this thing. The details are not lost on God. But before Jesus, he was, he was helping construct this whole, this whole scene, the whole scenario Romans built roads so that news could travel well and people could communicate effectively through Greek. Greek was kind of the universal language from the previous empire, right? The Greeks had established a huge empire and so everybody spoke Greek. That was the trade language. That was the business language. So God had been working and doing all this. He had been preparing his people and the world for his son and now he sent one last prophet to announce it. And that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the greatest prophet. He had set Jesus in motion at just the right time. John's very existence was a miracle. You know the story of how he came to be. And his parents were old and, and didn't have any kids. And, and an angel spoke to, to his father, Zachariah, and said, you're going to have a kid and he laughed and was like, no way, how's this going to be? And just for that, he ended up not talking until his kid was born. He was struck dumb or dumbstruck. John was a, well, I would call him a monk. He was basically a monk. You, you, you read this description and you think this is you know, a man of the wilderness and, and he ate bugs and honey and, and, and all that. And, and uh, I, you envision like a, an ancient times bear grills, right? Like he can handle anything. He's, got, he's a man's man, right? He's out there. He can make it happen. He can, he can survive anything. Um, can, I, can I just 
destroy your Sunday school version of John the Baptist for a second? Okay, scripture says that he ate locusts and wild honey. Did you know that the carob tree, the bean pods on there are called locust beans? Now, here, here's where your felt board is about to go up in flames. Because we, I mean, you've seen the pictures, right? You got the grasshoppers and the honey and all that. You dip it in there, good protein and all that. The, the grasshoppers only came through like once every other year. So there was no way that he could have consistently had a diet of that kind of locust. But he, he was eating the, the pods. He was a vegetarian. He was an old hippie monk vegetarian. Weird clothes. I mean, he makes, you have to mention that he's wearing camel hair clothes, right? And a leather belt. And uh, he was a vegetarian monk. He was not Bear Grylls of the Bible times. Although, I mean, I mean, if, you, if you've been to Israel or if you've seen pictures of the, the Judean wilderness, it's, it's not easy out there either. But. So he ate, he ate locust bean pods probably, and, and found honey. And I'm sure he did eat the bugs when they flew through. Like that's, so it's not totally false, but anyways, you can go cry over your felt board later. Um, John was a major part of the preparation of the kingdom. He was that last piece. And Mark quotes Isaiah and, and, uh, and then he calls John that messenger that Isaiah talks about, the voice in the wilderness crying out. He announced that the kingdom of heaven was near and told people to prepare their hearts for it. And how do you do that? You repent. You confess your sin. You get your your heart right. But repentance wasn't just being sorry for your sin. Repentance means change of mind or to think differently about God. It speaks of a wholehearted turning away from myself and toward God. It can also reference the remorse and regret concerning previous sins or wrongdoings. But a call to repentance was a call to absolute surrender. It wasn't to be nicer to people. It wasn't to, hey, stop stop doing that one bad thing. It was a complete life change and, and a reorientation of your whole world and your life. From self to God. It wasn't just about an attitude or an act. It was your whole life. It was all-encompassing. And in spite of the difficulty of that, it wasn't just a feel-good message. John was not really a feel-good message kind of guy. People were responding. Like, Scripture says they came out from all of Judea and, and all of Jerusalem. They were responding to that message, and they were bowing their hearts in submission to God, and they were trying to, to reorient their lives towards God. And it was into this setting and into John's ministry that Jesus comes onto the scene. Yes. Matthew's gospel has a little more detail on the event of Jesus' baptism. You remember the conversation. Jesus shows up and, and says, all right, baptize me. And, and John says, no, no, you need to baptize me. And, and then, you know, they go back and forth. And Jesus says, no, 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 just, just do it to fulfill all righteousness. 
There's some discussion about whether or not Jesus needed to repent because that's what this that's what this baptism was all about. That's what it signified was repentance. Well, if repentance just means confessing your sins, then how, then how do you justify Jesus getting baptized? But this was an outward, an outward display of his giving his life for the cause and the purposes of God. This was Jesus' statement saying, I'm all in. And my entire life is about you and not me. My entire life and everything in me, all my motivations will be about seeing your purposes accomplished, not my own. And so this was an outward display of that decision. Jesus never sinned. He never needed to repent of his sin and change his mind toward God, but he did need to show And he did need to make this a public outward confession and demonstration that he was indeed submitted to the Father. This baptism was Jesus' surrender to the Father's plan and all that it meant for him. And you know he knew what it meant. He knew the scripture. He knew who he was and he knew what it meant. He knew that he only had a couple years. And in spite of knowing those things, he made this decision I'm all about you, and I'm all about your plan for me and your mission. This was the do or die moment for the whole operation. Jesus had to make this decision. He had to do it. Without this moment, nothing else happens. Without him making this statement and and publicly saying this, there's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Jesus in everything he did was empowered by the Holy Spirit? He lived as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit. This is why we can look at him as an example and try to be like him. He wasn't just God with a, with a skin suit on. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And he had laid aside his, his rights as the divine son of God, he had set that aside and said, I will live as a man and I will do this as a man. And so he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He also got the approval and validation of the Father in this moment. Several months ago, we talked about we are sent like Jesus was sent. When Jesus started, it was with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the approval of the Father. Before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he ever healed anybody, before he cast out any demons, before he dumbfounded the Pharisees with his, with his wits, the father had already validated him and said, this is my son and I'm well pleased with him. Why was he well pleased in that moment? Because Jesus had just said, hey, I'm all about you. My life is about you. I'm not going to live for me. I'm living for you. And the father said, that's what I'm talking about. We're going to get somewhere now. So Jesus received in that moment the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was the power and the wisdom by which he operated his whole ministry. That surrender, that moment right there, that expression of surrender was the beginning of everything that was to come for the next three and a half years. So there was a preparation for the kingdom that took place. We saw God preparing all through history leading up to this moment and even in this last moment sending one more messenger, one more prophet to announce 
Hearts needed to be ready. People needed to be prepared. The world had to be able to hear and receive the gospel. And now the mission commenced. Now we're ready for action. You are ready for action. Did you know that God has been preparing your heart and you for the kingdom? I, uh, I mentioned earlier the political details and, and things like that of, of the age there and, and that God worked in that and he works in them now. I've, I've been listening to um, uh, an audio book on the Six-Day War and uh, kind of the historical context of that. I love history, I do. Um, and I, I can very easily look at history as, as a black and white, a very simple thing. And if you just read your history textbook, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But it's really not that simple, is it? No. <laughs> you know how long this book is that I'm listening to? It's getting into all the political relationships and how everything happened and the details of each person involved and where they're coming from and why they feel a certain way. And the details are amazing. And they're, they're widespread and far-ranging. There, there's so many details involved in one decision to, to say go or not go. It's so complex. And I just, maybe that's boring to you, but to me, that, that is a very hopeful thing. Because I think we can just be, a, we can be very black and white. We can be polarized. It's this or it's that. But God is in the details, and there is so much room for him to work. There is so much room for him to work in each individual and all the, all the things that affect a decision and, and how that decision affects somebody else. Like, God is not limited. And in this preparation leading up to this moment, he had been in every detail. He had been working in so many people's lives and, and moving the hearts of kings and nations and setting things up just right. And you know what? He hasn't changed. He still does that. So I find in this political moment, wherever your political leanings are, I find an incredible amount of hope. Things are not as simple or as black and white as you think they are, as I think they are. God is working these details and he can do things that will blow your ever-loving mind. And I'm ready to see it. I want to see how he does it. We'll know later. Someday in heaven, we'll be reading the history books. I don't know if it'll be audio or video or what, but we'll be... And we'll get to see, like I'm seeing right now in this, in this little glimpse of the Six-Day War and all the details and how all the things work together. We'll get to see how God did that. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. If you're a history fan like I am, that will be incredible. God is working in your life in this way. All the details, all the history can be used as preparation if you will give it to him. If you will submit your life to him, right? We're going to 
Seth, can I have you come on up and and uh, play ever so gently? We're going to take communion today. And so, yeah, Patty, let's go ahead and start passing that out. Because I think there is a, there is a response to this, even as we're just setting up the rest of the study through Mark. There is, there is a response to this. Thank you. I'll grab one for Seth. In this preparation for the kingdom of God to break out, there was the history. There was John the Baptist the announcing things, and then there was there was even Jesus declaring his submission to the to the mission of God. God, thank you. This is always our issue, isn't it? The surrender, the submission. Because that's not in our nature. It takes you about half a second to be self-oriented again, doesn't it? It's just effortless. But did you know that God has been preparing you and your heart for his kingdom? Not just the kingdom, you know, when Jesus comes back but the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign and the authority of God in your life and in the lives of the people around you right now. He's been preparing you. If you have given your life to him already, you know that he is always working, talking, convicting, leading, teaching, disciplining, preparing you for your eternal home and place beside your Lord but also for more of the kingdom in your life right now. That process is called sanctification, where he's consistently working and purifying you. And the end result of that is to be like Jesus. If you have yet to give your life to God, he's working on you too. He's preparing you also. He's been pursuing you and bringing you to a place through all the details where your heart will say yes to him. That's his mission. Relationship with you. That's why he made you. He works on you and uses circumstances of life and he puts people in your life that bring him to the forefront. He's preparing you. Now the only question is, how will you respond? Will you repent? Will you answer his call to full surrender and give your life to him and his purposes instead of your own? Even if you have given your life to him, you still need to consistently and constantly surrender and repent. Far more than we do. It's a way of life. It's not a one-time event. Can we just take a moment and reflect on our hearts? Remember that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring things to light and show things to you and reveal things to you to make you feel bad. He only brings things to light. He only puts his finger on places in your heart that he wants to heal and restore and encourage 
Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts right now. As you are near, as we are here in your presence, speak to us, Lord. Show us what surrender looks like again. Bring our hearts to a place where we can choose your purposes above our own. And now as the Holy Spirit just brings anything to mind, would you, would you make a, a conscious decision to give that to him? Make a conscious decision to, to put that in his hands, to surrender that to him. He's good, he's kind, he's gentle, he's wise. If you've never responded to him in repentance before this time, man, what a moment. What a moment that will be in your life. As you give yourself to the God who made you in his cause, his purposes. Lord, we give our, our hearts to you again. The end point of Jesus' mission was to give his life to ransom us. We'll get there later on in Mark, but throughout Mark, he points to the cross and says, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm here to do. I'm here to redeem and ransom humankind. So today, as we take communion, we, we remember what he did, and we live in what he did. If you take a little wafer, this symbolizes the body of Christ, which was beaten and battered and bruised for your sake and mine. In his body, he carried our sins and our illnesses. And so today we, we take the body of Christ, thanking him for what he did. Go ahead and take that. there. This symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which he spilled and poured out on the cross. This blood represents the new covenant and the new way of life that is available to us because of what he did. Because of the relationship that he has made possible with God again. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we can be close to him. This is the new covenant. Would you drink the cup? Thank you, Lord. And Lord, would you hear our hearts today as, as we respond to you? Like, like Israel did when John the Baptist 
presented repentance and called people back to God, called people back to turn their hearts to him and make their lives about about you, Lord, and not themselves. Lord, we do that same thing today. We again bring our hearts to a place where we're about you and not us. Holy Spirit, this week, would you be speaking to us? Bring awareness, more awareness of your presence, more awareness of where we need to incline our hearts to you again. Just like we were singing earlier, let us become more aware of your presence, Lord. Speak to us through your word and through your spirit this week. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.